0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoj, här kommer Carlson. Carlson Carlson, Carlson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Call some,
1: yeah. Världs- yes, besta- yes. Yes, 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 yes! Welcome
0: everybody to another episode of the Keepin' Girls and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are much more reliable than a lot of the goalies we're going to talk about to start the show. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, to break down crappy goalies, injuries, hot streaks, line combinations, the whole kit and caboodle, it's my very good friend, the Fantasy Hockey Robot, Brian, come!
1: Hello, Elon, hello, everyone. We are reliable. You know we're coming at you almost every single Sunday uh, night. Uh, On live on YouTube if you want to watch, but most importantly, in your podcast feed. Thank you all for subscribing and listening to us all through the season. We're getting to a really key time where you're either competing or if you're not competing, now is still a good time to listen because we're talking about players and narratives and storylines that are going to follow through into the next year. So if you're starting to waver a little bit, don't make the mistake of pulling the plug on your fantasy hockey follows at this point of the season because if your season is over already then it's time to already get set for your next one and a better result and that starts now so thanks to everybody who's listening to us for any reason in at the end of february we really appreciate it and hope you are cruising for the most part honestly Brian the fantasy
0: playoffs. I think you're talking to like 10 people like it's like yeah people who are in tier one or tier two of the cupful. like when the competition's that tough that's the keeping Carlson ultimate Major fantasy league yeah so there's some really amazing players that are probably still listening to the podcast and like not winning because just like if you're in a league of like 14 sharks like you know someone's gonna have to come in last place but I think most people who listen to the podcast generally do well in their leagues I'd, I'd like to think but uh, yeah tweet us at keeping Carlson let us know how you're doing going into the home stretch but yeah you're right Brian about one thing which is that either way we're going to bring you some content today we've got a lot of players to talk about and yeah some of them are young players and i'm curious to get your thoughts not only on for this year but for the long term including actually the first goalie that i'm going to bring up in just a second of course first let me mention that keeping carlson very proudly presented by dauberhockey.com i love that we can say that Dabber Hockey, keeping carlson synonymous like they go together because that's the number one fantasy hockey website great articles all the time the tools at frozen tools are perfect it's just like that site was built to help you be amazing at fantasy and they're they're crushing it day in day out so check it out dauberhockey hockey, of course, and Frozen Tools. But okay, Brian, I wanted to start, like I said, talking about some goalies. Lewis and I actually on the short shifts episode that i guested on on thursday we talked about some goalies that were struggling recently we talked about uh, tristan jari by the way lewis and i both said like don't worry about tristan jari he had like three bad games and he had a shutout against the rangers right after that episode so that answered that and yeah that was an easy call obviously we weren't going to tell people to panic about tristan jari uh last week brian you and i talked about we're always talking about some struggling goalies. here we're just going to group them together but last week we talked about john gibson and how he was pretty decent throughout the season and then stunk this past month that continued. You actually found the data that February is always John Gibson's worst month and it continued on Friday. He led in four goals versus LA on 20 shots in the 4-1 to loss. Uh, Anaheim plays again tonight. That's going to happen after we're finished recording. It's going to be Anaheim against the Islanders. Or no, actually it'll get started. So maybe we'll be able to check in at the end of the show and see how Gibson is doing if he got the start against the Isles. Uh, so I'm, I'm imagining with John Gibson, it's just like, let's wait for the calendar to turn to March and then hopefully that will mean things will turn around. Round?
1: That was really the only thing to hope for if you want to believe that this is a real pattern. And uh, I, I word is that Anthony Solars is getting the start tonight for whatever that's worth in I, I And mean, he's actually been pretty solid as a backup. So if the Ducks choose to start resting Gibson a little more, then Solars really is a legit option to spell him. But uh, yeah, that was the analysis last week with all the the tongue- and cheekiness needed if we're going to use splits as an analytics tool because usually you can't really uh, gather so much meaningful data using split stats. But for John Gibson, this really did just flash in our eyes that yeah, February's a, a tough month for him. And if you want to go back and hear the theories I had to share about that, uh,
0: then go and listen again to the last episode. Okay, and actually, uh, Shams is updating us in the chat here saying actually Gibson is sick. That's why he's not playing today. So I just checked into my league where I have him. Just moved him into the IR before it was too late. So thanks a lot, Shams, because now I'm able to activate Carter Hart and maybe even make a move to start next week when I had Carter Hart in my IR at that point. So there you go. Carter Hart actually had a very good game. He's not someone we're going to talk about right now because he did well for the Flyers uh, in a game where Cam Atkinson also broke a cold streak. But that's later in the show. Let's start with these crappy goalies. And I want to start in Detroit with Alex uh by Mid-January... Ned was looking like a super savvy pickup, both by Steve Eiserman, who got him for nothing in the offseason, and for anyone who snatched him up late in their fantasy drafts. Like, a lot of people thought that Ned was going to be, you know, at best, like maybe a 1A to Grice's 1B, but maybe even like a tandem on a team that we didn't think was going to be very good. But through his first 28 starts, Djokovic was sporting a 12-10-1 record and a 9-18 save percentage. Those 28 starts, by the way, through January 17th, ranked him tied for fifth in the whole league in games played behind only like Saros, Vasilevsky, Demko, and Jari. And then he was tied with a bunch of guys. So he was a volume starter and he was doing pretty well. What a steal, right? But things have really shifted recently. Nedeljkovic has led in three plus goals in eight of his last nine starts, including a couple like real bad stinkers recently, including six goals against versus the Wild back on the 14th. Then another six versus the Leafs yesterday on Saturday before he got pulled in that crazy 10-7 loss that we'll talk a bit more about in a sec. Uh, This, by the way, has led to Thomas Grice finally getting some starts. And He's had a couple of good games recently. He uh, had a good game versus Philly and a good game versus the Rangers. Both wins where he led in only two goals. Uh, then he did get thrown to the Wolves versus Colorado on Wednesday where he led in four goals. And then he came in versus the Leafs on Saturday. And that didn't go well for Grice either. But aside, th- those are two tough games. And otherwise, Grice has looked decent lately. And it's hard to forget how strong Grice was at the end of last season. Remember, it looked like Jonathan Bernier was the sure starter most of the way. And then for the last month of the season, Grice was like a fantasy MVP for anyone playing i'm wondering if we're starting to see another pattern like oh grice hasn't been like that amazing but it's again now nijelkovic looked like he was the sure starter now he's struggling grice is doing okay brian nijelkovic was dropped in our keeper league i saw you claimed him on waivers and then actually an update just today in keeping carlson ultimate Patriot fantasy league tier one sweden he was just dropped going into next week uh so should people are these people making a mistake by dropping nijelkovic because he had such a great start to the year will i be making a mistake if I don't add him or will I be making a mistake if I do add him like what's your take right now on how much he's fallen in Detroit
1: you mentioned like you already sliced his numbers up one way I'll slice them again uh that Nadelkovich started slow which was okay because that first month in Detroit was a disaster right I think that they might have played in the very first game of the season and uh, he gave up tons of goals and it Repeated itself a couple of times in October, but then Nadelkovic steadied himself with a 9.34 save percentage in 10 games in November. Since then, though, even with that hot run that you mentioned, Elon, he had another 10-game stretch where Nadelkovic was a 9.24 goalie. He is an 8.89 in 22 games. Since December 4th. And if anyone's like, ah, he got destroyed in the Toronto game. He was an 894 before the Toronto game. So let's just, uh, put, get that out of the way. That was a heck of a game. What a fun game to watch. Except as I was talking about to Elon before when Michael Bunting passed to Mitch Marner instead of scoring. That made me very sad. Like I thought I'd even get a, I'd get a shot. Anyway, whatever. No one knows what you're talking about because this was on the okay. pre-show.
0: Brian has Bunting and his <laughs> opponent has Marner. That's what he's talking about. But anyways, let's get back yeah, to Nedeljkovic. Bunting okay. set
1: up Marner so many times. It was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, whatever. Okay, Nadelkovic, Um He was up with the best of the league through 28 starts, even with those downs. There were ups and downs, but those hot stretches helped Nedeljkovic get up with some of the best goalies in the league, as you mentioned, Elon. And now he's struggling with a 9.03 save percentage on the whole which means basically, uh, I can slice this any number of ways, but the the end result is going to be that Nedeljkovic has been inconsistent. Imagine that, a goalie, inconsistent. Uh, this isn't a surprise, right? This is a new goalie. We're looking a little deeper, and Nedeljkovic, he's played about expected on aggregate this year, performing about as well on the whole as you'd expect an average goalie would, facing the shots he's faced, except he's done it in a way where some nights he is way above that average goalie, and some nights he's way below that average goalie. And especially Nadalkovich has been bad over the last month, too. Um, and just another number to show how unreliable he's been. 53% quality starts on the year, which means it's almost a coin flip for whether he's going to put up a legit, decent start for you, or he's going to really hurt you when you start Nadalkovich in your lineup. I did add him in a keeper league in which I'm a playoff bubble team and probably trending away from the playoffs rather than towards a playoff spot. And so adding him was very much a move geared towards next year as he looks like a pretty good shot to be a starter on a rising Red Wings squad. And my team doesn't have any sure fire starter quality keeper goalie options. So why not add Nadelkovic and see how the rest of the season plays out and where he's at when it's time to make keeper decisions. Um, but for the rest of this season, I guess my theory, aside from saying that, well, he's a goalie, he's inconsistent, is that maybe Nedeljkovic is hitting a wall. He played just 23 games last year. Now he's up to 34 starts already on a team that ranks in the top 10 in shot attempts allowed per game, like in the bad way, like they allow amongst the 10, like (laughs) they are in the top 10 teams in giving up a lot of shots. Um, And so I hope better for Nadelkovic in the future and I'll take what I can get from him this year but I think the takeaway from Nadelkovic's play because I, I, I look I can try and predict the rest of the season maybe he'll stabilize I feel like it's going to be a lot of what we've seen already there's going to be some great stretches there's going to be some struggles but in a keeper or dynasty format now may be a decent time to kick tires if you don't have Nadelkovic and see what the cost is to acquire him because he could be the starter and grow with this Detroit team that has a lot of room to grow.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think now it's always good to try to buy low on a guy in a keeper league who you think is going to have a strong future. But as far as this season goes... Uh, like I was looking at him like I actually have one goalie in the couple I just have Darcy Camper, and I would love to fill that second spot with someone reliable and like before that would have seemed like such a great opportunity to get him I'm just looking at next week though Detroit's going to play Carolina on Tuesday then Tampa on Friday and Florida on Saturday so he'll probably at best get two of those starts and they're both going to be against really tough teams so you know I just I'm scared to grab a goalie who's just going to give me negative points potentially though it is a good opportunity so it's something I'm gonna have to think about but he's been really bad lately giving negative points to whoever's been rostering him that's obviously why he's been dropped so I'm going to be interested to watch and see what he does I'm also interested to see what Thomas Grice does because we saw this last year like I said uh, it's too early to chime in probably on him but I'm keeping a lookout on him and to see if he can finish the season strong as well uh, in that game versus the Leafs by the way there was one other stat line that I wanted to mention that really jumped out at me that was Philip Hironik he scored a goal and distributed three assists in that near comeback and Hironik is someone who I actually rostered in the couple like for a lot of the season I was feeling pretty good about it but then Detroit had such a sparse schedule over this past month a lot of weeks with playing only two games. So I just like let him go, obviously, and I didn't regret it. He hasn't even done anything. But hey, this four-point game today, uh, or yesterday, looked pretty good. And he's only 16% rostered on Yahoo. Now Detroit is going to go back to having normal schedules moving forward for a little bit. Though, I get, again, the competition is looking a little bit tough. But, you know, on the season, Hronik has 28 points in 49 games. It's a 47-point pace. So is that something that you think he can keep up overall? Or is that too high? Like a 47-point pace for a defenseman is really impressive. I'm just curious to get your sense, now that he's been dropped in a bunch of leagues, He's available for all of us, and we need to decide whether it's time to jump in on him. Normally, you're excited about a 47 point pace defenseman in free agency, but for some reason, I'm not really feeling it with Hironik, just because he's, you know, second power play, behind Sider. So I just want to get your general take on if you think he can keep up what he's been doing all year moving forward.
1: I understand why you're down on Philip Hironik. I think I was down on him even before you were. I I was down on him before it was cool, Elon. But it's not to say anything great, because he's had a great run recently, but... The reason to be skeptical of Heronik's 47-point pace is one, what you just mentioned, he's on the second power play unit. It's hard for a defenseman on the second unit to have a point pace that's above 40, points for most defensemen. So that's one reason to be uh, not optimistic that Hirona can keep this up. Another reason would be, well, the 22 games prior to this run where Hirona had just nine points in that 22 game stretch. I mean, you've asked about him a lot this year. My answer is pretty much the same as before from the second unit. I don't expect much more than a 40 point pace the rest of the season. I expect him to be an inconsistent contributor too, because that's what he has been all season. I think he's ridden a high points participation rate at five on five. That's helped him get up to this 47 point pace. And I do not see it as sustainable. Maybe Horonic will still have, you know, one or two more hot runs in him. And he can be decent at putting shots on net, but he's not someone who feels like uh, he'd be a lot of fun to depend on as your third defenseman or even a fourth defenseman uh, in a league where like the KKU PFL K K U P F L dot com uh, the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league um where you have 18 guys on your roster i just don't see that veronic a must hold there i consider him in the same kind of realm as someone or just below actually the same kind of realm as sergachev or damon severson who's hot right now so not not a great guy to bring up in this conversation because he's jumped a tier really since what we've had him in for a while but uh Yeah, that's about where I would position Hronik, below Sergachev, below Severson. And last I checked, those guys were available in plenty of leagues, so you don't need to go and run and grab Hronik.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm looking at the schedule next week again. So again, it's Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So if come Friday, you need a defenseman, you look at your Saturday lineup, you have some forward that you're going to be benching because a lot of teams are playing in an open D spot. Maybe he's a good guy to grab on Friday, get the Friday, Saturday, and go from there. But I agree with you that maybe he's not like a long-term hold, though he is probably a high-end defenseman free agent. for Like Whenever I'm looking for a defenseman in free agency. I think he's going to be among one of the top guys that I'm considering. Uh, on the other side of that game that Detroit played against Toronto, we have Jack Campbell, who we've already discussed recently, and my head's been on all over the place with this guy, right? I said I was worried about him on the pod uh, with him struggling to end January, and Morozik looked decent. We just had this conversation, I think, like three weeks ago or so. Then he actually had a couple good games in a row versus Seattle and Pittsburgh, uh, and then I was starting to think, ah, maybe I was wrong to be like so down on Jack Campbell. Then Ben uh, from Short Shifts traded him to Jordan in Mike Couple Division and I panicked. Okay, we have a. Uh, feature in the couple where you can do a counter offer after a trade you have 24 hours to try to offer something better uh i made some offers to ben that he rejected he said he wanted nilander i like really considered it i was talking to brian i almost like pulled the trigger it was like it was a package it was like nilander i was gonna get hyman i don't want to get into the details but anyways i decided uh to pass in the end and now it's looking like once again i'm happy to have passed on jack campbell because he's starting to look bad again recently five goals against versus st louis four versus columbus and most recently five goals against of the 25 shots versus Detroit yesterday before he got pulled. Uh, Then you look at Petr Mrazek, who started this week with a stinker, letting in five goals versus Montreal, but Mrazek followed it up with a really good game. One goal against in a win over Minnesota on Thursday. And then he also got the win in relief on Saturday versus Detroit, even though Mrazek didn't do that well. He's letting two goals on eight shots. So I don't know, this whole Leafs goalie situation just seems super volatile. I guess it's kind of like what you said about Nijelkovic. It just doesn't seem like something we can super rely on. Like I know Toronto's a good team, but... I don't know. At this point, I, I don't really know what the question is. I guess we can't really recommend for people to drop Jack Campbell. But uh, just wanted to get your general take, I guess, on this situation. Like, do you think I'm going to be changing my mind about him just over and over again throughout the rest of the season as we see him and Morazic trade starts and Campbell go from good games to bad games?
1: One thing that Jack Campbell has in common with Nedeljkovic, who we just talked about, is that he doesn't have a, a big track record of being this starting goalie or starting as many games in the past as he has so far this year. Campbell had never started more than twenty-six regular season games in one year, and now he's already started thirty-seven games. That's all, but fifteen of Toronto's starts. This year. So, another consideration that maybe this guy is just getting tired because this is a bigger workload than he's ever dealt with before in his career. But as we explored on a previous show, and like Nadelkovich too, Campbell has seen this huge swing from great to bad in all his numbers over the last month. Or so. And I think we're just at this moment again, where it's a goalie without a ton of experience and none as a legit number one starter showing himself to be inconsistent. And I don't think we should be so surprised to see it. The flip side, like the good news in the comparison to Dendelkovich is that his quality start percentage is higher. It's above 60%, which means he's been more reliable. In not blowing you up, except in really bad starts, which is a, a stat that basically counts how many like total awful blow-ups you have. I think the number is below 885. Uh, Jack Campbell has three more really bad starts. He has eight really bad starts compared to Nadelkovic's three, but it's rarer that Campbell has... Like a sort of bad start. Anyway, we're just trying to split hairs to try and make sense of this. But I think the bottom line is, like Nadalkovic, it's reasonable to expect volatility. But you can still hope for calm in Campbell's play rest of season. I don't think it's totally beyond him. The good news for Campbell is that Morazic has not proven himself up to the task of starting, even though his track record suggests he should be up to it. So there could be a run for Murazik. There might not be. Uh, there's really, like you said, uh, not much advice. Other than to not value Campbell or not consider Campbell to be a sure thing, whether you're trading for him or trading him or just trying to figure out how much you can rely on him to carry you week to week, Uh, you can't. But as a guy, he's still a guy who could be good, has great upside but is no guarantee which is a great way to describe a lot of goalies in the NHL and I wish I had something a little more definitive to share with you Elon but that's about the extent of my Jack Campbell analysis
0: I mean I'm taking a risk here starting the show bringing up a bunch of goalies because I'm sure the answer to all of them is like we don't really know but it's just interesting to bring them up and discuss what's going on and yeah you bring up a good point that he's never played a full season as a starter so maybe it's starting to wear on him a little bit and apologies by the way once again for bringing up that game from yesterday versus Detroit was so interesting so much happened and I gotta say one player that I'd be really concerned about about or at least I would have been really annoyed about if I had him on any of my teams yesterday is John Tavares because the Leafs scored 10 goals in that game and Tavares wasn't able to produce a single point I'll be honest I'm even a bit shaken as a launder manager I have him in a couple of my leagues he scored the game opener so I can't be too upset he scored a goal you're never upset when a player of yours scores a goal but like we scored 10 and he didn't do anything after that first goal to start the game but I guess this is focused on Tavares because I recall last year around this time again a lot of patterns repeating themselves I remember talking to you on the podcast about how Tavares was on a bit of a cold streak and it kind of seemed like Toronto was just like all the offense was coming from the Matthews Marner line I guess with Hyman at the time and it seemed like the Tavares Nylander line was just more of like I don't know like still like producing but just like not at the same clip it didn't seem like they were getting as many offensive opportunities and like it's kind of looking like it this way again like Tavares has eight points in his last 12 games which is like fine for most players not like super exciting but also those eight points are all assists he hasn't scored a goal in his last 12 games and he scored 17 goals in his first 39 games so Tavares is just gone from scoring every second game almost to just nothing going in for him i know there's been a lot of chatter in our discord lately about the leafs having a great playoff schedule there's a lot of people talking about like wanting to try to trade for someone like Tavares, and does now does seem like a good potential buy low time if we like agree that this is a buy low time and not just like this is what he is so yeah let's like look into this guy is this recent stretch concerning to you at all like I like Brian you were complaining about how you have bunting and you were upset that bunting kept on passing to Marner who your opponent had so like every time you got an assist your opponent was getting a goal imagine how much more frustrated you'd be if you had Tavares and Marner was getting all these points you were getting like absolutely nothing it's kind of crazy to kind of think that you'd prefer to have bunting than Tavares but like I almost feel that way which I know is kind of crazy so what's your general sense on Tavares right now how nervous should those John Tavares managers be I was one last year I traded him him and ended up regretting it. This year I don't have him in any leagues and I'm kind of happy about it at the moment.
1: Bunting is a little less stressful of a roster than Tavares just because the bar is lower so when he isn't producing it's like yeah that's what I expect from Michael Bunting but he's also really locked in right now with Marner and Matthews and that line is flying so he's a great guy to have. Uh, he's someone who doesn't disappoint you too much because you know it's coming. Whereas John Tavares, you expect consistent, steady, reliable production. But instead, Jonathan Tavares is having Jonathan Tavares. I just called him Jonathan. John Tavares is having the kind of season that's going to make anyone rostering him swear to never roster him again, right? We all know these players who we've had on our rosters for one season or two seasons or over the course of time who frustrated us so much that we're never going to want them again. I feel like that's what Tavares is doing uh, to a lot of people who put their faith in him this year. Um, not only because he was silent in those 10 goals against Detroit, but there was a run of three games just about a month ago when Toronto scored 20 goals, and Tavares pointed on just two of them. So... The question is, is Tavares flaming out and not contributing in his what's now decidedly a 2C a role because Matthews is basically in the middle stages already of making his case to be a generational superstar and we have a clear top line in Toronto or has it just been bad luck? For John Tavares when the Leafs are scoring a whole lot of goals and he's not getting in on them and it's really glaring because of all the goals they're scoring and I would uh, I would actually say that on the whole I'm not that worried about John Tavares and I don't think we should be overreacting to these very visible moments when John Tavares isn't producing on the whole he's still on a near 80 point pace so Look, John Tavares has contributed at other times and not just left you high and dry all season long. Uh, and I think that near 80 point pace also looks pretty sustainable. Consider that Tavares has had a similar pace the last two seasons as well, which has been disappointing after Tavares debuted in Toronto with an 88 point campaign. But really what it just shows us is that Tavares is uh, in this mid to high 70s range And that's about where we can pencil the guy in from here on out. The only difference between this Tavares and the one a couple years ago that had upside above 80 points is that now Tavares is seeing about a minute less of ice time each night at 5 on 5. And honestly... That's it. You know, the way the way Matthews, Marner, and Bunting are going, there's no more 1A, 1B top line situation. You have your top line, and you have a very strong second line, but it's still a second line that features John Tavares, and I think that limits his upside from being any higher than 80 points. So I think the only change we need to make, A, don't overreact to his lack of visibility on the score sheet in this 10-goal game against Detroit in that three-game run a month ago. But just make the change from thinking that Tavares is like an 80-point guy with upside beyond that to Tavares actually being, say, a 75-ish point guy, give or take, with not much upside beyond that, which makes him, Ilan, a good trade target, yeah. I think, especially for anyone who's disappointed in him. I like the way you're thinking. Toronto's got a good schedule. Anyone who's got him right now is probably feeling really frustrated.
0: Go and see what he costs to acquire because I think he's still a pretty good player. I'll bet you that at least one of our listeners, if you have Michael Bunting, I'll bet you you could send him to the Tavares manager and get that deal accepted. I just have a hunch. If
1: If you send us a tweet at Keeping Carlson, if you pull that off. I have bunting. Maybe I'll make that offer.
0: You could try. I mean, you're in tier two of the cacafu. It might be harder.
1: It's not going to work.
0: Uh, but uh, or but maybe you want to hold bunting because again, look at your playoff schedule. If you're going to make it for your fantasy playoffs, because I think like the Leafs play like four, four, and four games, or four, four, and three games. Maybe you want to look and trade like a Vegas people. A lot of people have been talking about how Vegas has a bad playoff schedule. I, again, when I say a lot of people, I'm assuming like the whole world is like our Discord because that's where I hang out all the time. But you know, a lot of people have been talking about potentially trying to trade like even an Eichel and a one year league. You know, since like the playoff schedule isn't good, and he's like looking. Pretty pretty good so I don't know I don't know if you trade Eichel for Tavares but if you're going to get a bunch more games I don't know but I, I I like I know you're saying not to worry too much but still like a 75 point guy for Tavares is still not that great right so y- if you can trade like a 80 point guy or a 75 po- uh, whatever we, we told you the numbers and then you can go from there and make your own decision <laughs> let's go to the next uh, struggling goalie this one uh, might be already in the back window because Elvis Lickens was struggling uh, then he got injured but he returned from his injury today versus Pittsburgh and he actually did pretty well today. This game just ended. Pittsburgh won three to two. It's actually disappointing. Merzikens was having a really good game, but then led in two goals right at the end, but still he had forty shots against and stopped thirty-seven of them in a three-to-two loss. Uh before that. Elvis is a lot like Nedeljkovic, right? He started the season decently. By January 23rd, he had played 25 games, had a 14-10 and two record, a 9-12 save percentage, which isn't amazing, but, like holding his own on like a rebuilding team. But his last seven games before getting hurt, uh, Elvis it wasn't looking pretty, right? He saved for one one goal against Jam versus the Habs on February 12th. His other goals against counts in his games were six, seven, four, three, six, and four. Uh, so, Brian, I actually just traded a fourth pick in our keeper league to get Elvis Merzlikens in that same league where you picked up Nijelkovic. I only had Hart and Gibson, needed some goalie help. Now I'm going to put Gibson in my IR, like I just mentioned. Uh, Brian, do you think that trade is going to end up working out for me as we head into this final stretch before the playoffs? Or are you concerned that Elvis just, like, isn't the stud goalie? Like he, A lot of people were talking about him as, like, a top three like prospect goalie a couple of years ago. He really had an amazing initial season with Columbus, but he hasn't looked as, like, you know, he already, like, his numbers went down a bit last year, and they've looked even worse this year. Save for this uh, good game today against Pittsburgh.
1: I like Elvis Merzlikens still I liked him at the start of the season and it hasn't been the season we dreamed of for Merslickens but it's been uh, like yeah it's been rocky I, I don't know what more we can say by the way JF Baruby, who we did mention last week I don't think we saw him performing quite as well as he did on that back to back uh on what was it Thursday and Friday so way to go JF baruby but I don't think it's like he's coming for Elvis Merslicken's job. But it is funny to see that, you know, the Jackets have been looking for a backup goalie for at least a couple years now because Yunus Corpus has proven himself to not be reliable. And here it is. Maybe it's J.F. Berube who would be nice to see locked down a, like a, a longer term NHL role than a guy who shuttles back and forth and is occasionally put on waivers. Um, but yeah, I'm not really concerned about Elvis Merzlikins as a long term starter in Columbus um like first off just for context if anyone is like well is Ruby gonna push for starts maybe but merzlikens is three years don't say maybe no way well i I was gonna take it back like (laughs) well so instead of merzlikens say starting four out of five maybe he starts three out of four i think he's still going to start a lot like he might not have to be a workhorse but he's still definitely columbus's guy and um you know I'm also just going to make some comparisons to Nadelkovic and Campbell because Merce has had a tale of two seasons, right? He's, he's been even more unreliable than any of them actually with a just awful 45% quality starts percentage. And uh, I wonder if that's also in part because he's now tied actually tonight. He, he surpassed his career high game started with uh, his 32nd start of the season. Uh, But Unlike the others, he's had a little bit of injury trouble this year. He wasn't dressing for, you know, six games total. And earlier in the season, he backed up for three or four, even when it looks like he'd been playing okay. So I'm not sure if he was 100% then too. So Merzligans may need a reset, but long-term I'm not concerned. And of the guys we've discussed, he's definitely the one I have the most confidence in to find his form again before the year is up and continue being a, a high-end fantasy option as uh, as time moves on, like I would rather him than Nedelkovic and a keeper. And I think I don't know him versus Campbell is a tough one. Just Merzlikens is not someone who I have to worry about losing his job. So maybe that's why I have him above the other two.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think that there's this guy like Tarasov that Victor's been saying he thinks might have like overtaken Merzlikens as like, the long-term guy in Columbus, but probably not next season, right? Or maybe, maybe they could become a tandem at some point, but for now, I definitely agree with you that Merzlikens is the starter. Uh, okay, Brian, but if you're ever saying the guy you like so far of the goals we've talked about is Elvis Merzlikens, I'm sure it's going to change to this next guy I'm going to bring up, Mike Smith. No, I, I know for sure you're not going to be into Mike Smith. Let's bring him up, okay? I just gave up on him in my dynasty league. I dumped his contract in a trade with Saqib to acquire John Klingberg and I gave picks as well Uh, Mike Smith is still 46% rostered on Yahoo but he's looked so bad in his last couple of games he got pulled after letting in four goals on seven shots versus Minnesota last Sunday then another four goals on Wednesday versus Tampa on 22 shots so two bad games but I wrote all of this and then Mike Smith played a game today and actually did pretty well. He started against Carolina, and while Edmonton lost 2-1, to he stopped 27 of 29, so a good game for Mike Smith. So, hey, he's not, like, totally dusted, but he definitely seems to be an unreliable guy at this point, and I think we're going to start seeing him getting dropped in more and more leagues, especially because Miko Koskinen... I mean, this happens all... I'm getting such deja vu here, but yeah, Miko Koskinen played well in a big win over the Panthers on Saturday. He stopped 44 of 47, and by the way, Stuart Skinner is in the minors for the Condors, and he just had a shutout, I saw on Twitter, so, like two good options that might be better than mike smith at this point got to imagine smith is going to be at risk of getting waived potentially if they want to try to bring up stewart skinner i don't think anyone would claim him maybe they would i don't know now, now i'm just speculating but what are the chances that i'll regret having dumped smith before my fantasy plays i just didn't want to have a guy that i couldn't rely on that i thought also he since he has a contract next year i might as well just like dump him now but of course then he go, goes ahead and has a good start just like cam atkinson who i dropped and he had a good game it's basically anyone i drop always has a good game after i drop them or trade them
1: Right. That's the, the post-drop bump, which a lot of us feel and gives us a, lo- a lot of very troubling feelings. Uh, Mike Smith, I don't think you're going to totally regret it. I, it. It's hard, right, with goalies. And he's been one that we haven't been able or I have not been able to figure out. Even when he's playing well, I haven't bought in completely and eventually was just beaten into submission by the good play. And yeah, OK, we'll see how well he does and for how long. Um But Mike Smith, yeah, I just, I just don't know. I think, uh, I think he's going to find himself more and more on the outs now that Dave Tippett isn't around. He did have a decent start today, but the knives are are coming out for Mike Smith as he has struggled, which, you know, I'm, I'm, isn't surprising. Right, he's forty years old, or I should correct myself because I called him forty years old a couple months ago, and Jason Gregor on Twitter like countered my argument by saying he's not forty. Um, so in twenty three days, Mike Smith will be forty years old. So that's one reason that he's going to struggle. To his strong play for the last year and a bit came out of nowhere. And also, he just came back from injury. So those are all reasons to feel like Mike Smith is not long for the crease in Edmonton. And the the knives coming out, uh, just for context, you know, we saw that clip on TNT, or uh, they were discussing how Mike Smith was ripping his defensemen after (laughs) giving up goals. And like, it's starting to be mentioned a little more that he's a negative influence in this sort of domineering personality, uh, who's demanding. And then you have Miko Koskinen coming along and playing pretty well lately, too. He's been bad for so long. And now we, I'm like, well, could he be good? And the ray of hope for Miko Koskinen, which impacts Mike Smith's fortunes. Cause if Miko Koskinen can't play, then that helps Mike Smith. But, um, there is a little bit of reason to hope that Koskinen can be better because his numbers took a decided dip with Dave Tippett behind the bench. And we saw that tension between Koskinen and Tippett bubble to the surface not long before Tippett was fired. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of talk about how there was no system with Tippett, no protection for the goalie. And so now that there is a system, could Koskinen succeed or at least not be terrible? Like he's never been good, but he could be Average and this year Koskinen hasn't been far below his expected save percentage on the whole year at five on five. So I think there's room to recover, especially if Mike Smith is not consistently good, which seems to be a strong possibility. And then of course you've got Stuart Skinner as the wild card in all this. He's getting games in Bakersfield while uh, head coach Jay Woodcroft figures out what to do with the NHL guys in his crease. And I think they are very much in like an assessment phase, like how far can Mike Smith take us? How far can Mikko Koskinen take us? And at some point, I think they'll answer those questions with a not very far and give Stuart Skinner a shot. Um, but to answer your question, Elon, all this leads me to say I think it's unlikely you'll feel too bad about dropping Mike Smith. Maybe he bounces back to put up some gems, you know, here and there through the season. But I'm expecting it best that Mike Smith is going to be mixing in some low lows with any high highs he reaches
0: yeah fair enough and by the way another reason to be concerned about any recent starts coming for Edmonton is that they're getting hurt with injuries pretty badly lately Ryan Nugent Hopkins sustained an upper body injury during Saturday's game I don't think we have an update yet but I know he didn't play today uh, so he joins Pooley who's on the shelf we knew he was going to be out for maybe another three weeks now then it was announced today right before today's game on Sunday that Kylo Yamamoto wouldn't play due to an undisclosed injury so that's a uh, three significant pieces and that left the lines for today in this 2 on loss McDavid, Hyman, and Fogle, then Drysidel with Kane, and then it looks like it swapped, like it started, Colton Sevier was on that line, and then Tyler Benson. Uh yet somehow the only goal scored in this game for Edmonton was scored by Derek Ryan, who scored from his spot in the bottom six. And that's uh the second game in a row for Derek Ryan to score because he scored a hat-trick in the game versus Florida in Edmonton's last game. So all of a sudden Derek Ryan has four goals in his last couple of games. No way this is anything, right? Like, I got to mention him. People are rushing. I see his, like, ad numbers, you know, increasing on Yahoo. He's showing up on that list of, like, most uh, players who have been added the most recently. But, like, come on, he's Derek Ryan. He's in the bottom six in Edmonton. So I just wanted to confirm that with you.
1: Yeah, confirmed. There's not reason to talk much more about this. Uh, but it is fun to see some someone producing. Remember, you asked me last week, if I had to pick someone in the top six, who would it be? And I was like, "Well, Warren Fogel, but actually nobody. And along comes Derek Ryan to, I think, basically, uh, confirm that my answer last week was a good one.
0: No, well, the good answer would have been Derek Ryan, and then we could be celebrating right <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> well,
1: but it's unpredictable. You're right. There was someone, which is surprising.
0: Okay, so that's Edmonton. We'll see how that all shakes out with the injuries. I guess Ben and Lewis will give us updates on short shifts if we hear more injury news if like RNH or Yamamoto are going to be out long term like Puli RV. Uh, Okay, let's do one more struggling goalie. And actually, it's a tandem here. But over in Minnesota, Cam Talbot, he's still 92% rostered on Yahoo, but he's been a total drag lately. Five, four, and four goals against in his last three games versus Winnipeg, Florida, and Ottawa. Meanwhile, Kapo Kocknan had a good game versus the Leafs in a 3-1 loss on Thursday, uh, which Gave him a second straight start versus Calgary on Saturday, which did not go as well for Cochran. He led in five goals on 33 shots. So clearly, Cam Talbot will get the next start. I think that's pretty clear to me. Uh, but this Minnesota goalie situation seems super murky at this point going into a four game week next week. Like, say Talbot puts up a fourth straight stinker versus the Flames in a rematch game on Tuesday. Would you consider it being time to consider bailing on him? Like, it just seems like a situation, like you know, in uh, Dallas, like, Holpe was the guy getting a lot of games for a while, then Ettinger, like, it seems like is good. And then now it seems like Ettinger gets almost every game and Holtley barely, Holtley barely plays. Is that happening to Talbot? Or is this the kind of thing where if you drop Talbot, you're going like to really regret it because he'll go back to doing what he was doing at the start of the year where he was one of the, maybe not top, but like among the top goalies that you wanted to roster in fantasy for a lot of the season.
1: As we've said, a lot of Talbot's success this year has come because he's well-protected, but even though he's well-protected doesn't mean he's playing well. Ken Talbot has not been good this season, and actually at this point of the year, I'm getting some real deja vu with him and Kapo Kakanen, uh, especially with Kapo Kakanen, because last season... Kockinen was meh to start, then had a sterling run when he had an opportunity, and then an inconsistent follow-up, which is exactly the same pattern we've seen with Kockinen. Now, uh, Talbot has been bad. Kockinen has been subpar, not by much, but similar, like, in a way similar to Nedeljkovic, actually, if you're going by their expected save percentage numbers. Um... I don't know what to make of this crease. I'm going to be honest. If Minnesota can't solidify their goalie situation with either guy, I do wonder, like they should consider themselves cup contenders this year. I wonder if they do some shopping for some outside help. Uh, In the meantime, rostering either of these Minnesota goalies can be tough since I don't even know they're going to alternate starts, right? If a team is alternating, you know at least you're going to get every other game. Um, But if you don't know that... They might. Uh, I feel like Minnesota is just going to be going with the hot hand, which means you hold a guy who's backing up for two or three games in the hopes that he can get in and then hold the net once he gets in beyond one start, which neither of these guys has really shown the capacity to go in and in a consistent way do well enough to earn another start. And That just speaks to my lack of faith in both Ken Talbot and Kapokokanen right now. So my advice is similar to my advice with Jack Campbell which is that like, if you have Cam Talbot, you need to have a plan B for your crease in case he's not helpful to you. This is a more dire situation than Jack Campbell. I don't want to equate the two at all, but I'm just saying if you've been someone who has relied on Cam Talbot, well, you've probably already had to reconfigure those plans, uh, but don't expect to go back to relying on Cam Talbot. I think it's going to be a a tricky run for each wild goalie through the rest of the season. It would be great if someone stepped up and took the job. If I had to bet on someone, it would be Kaganen. But if you're relying on either of these guys, I would evaluate what your team would be like without them. Check your goalie options in free agency, because I think as good as the Wild are and as well as they protect their goalies, neither of these guys is a sure start on any given night.
0: Man, this has been a really tricky season for goalies. Like, It's just like these goalies, like, you're so good for the first half of the year, you disappear in the second half. And yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen here. I agree with you. Like, You can't rely on either of these Minnesota goalies. I was really surprised to see the Talbot still rostered in so many leagues. Uh, since we're in Minnesota, let's check in on the lines. They actually shook things up a bit yesterday versus Calgary. I see Joel eriksson was back with Caprizov and Zuccarello for a bit. But I also see Hartman got some time centering that top line. So probably not worth reading too much into it. Like they lost that game 5-1 to one versus Calgary. So you could definitely see... The coaching staff like going back to the drawing board and who knows what they're going to do I'm definitely going to be watching gamedayline tweets.com to see what uh, Minnesota rolls out for who's going to play with Kaprizov and Zuccarello uh, whether it's Ericssonek or Hartman Hartman went on a nice little run like he had a cold streak we brought him up on the show being like man it's surprising that he's cold even though he's playing with Zuccarello and Kaprizov uh, but then like he went on a bit of a run he had four points in five games after that but now he's pointless in two again if he ends up being bumped to the bottom six like for good like I guess I'd have to see it happen for like a few games but like if we see that Erickson Eck is like taking that spot that would probably be the death knell for me if I had Ryan Hartman like I'm not interested in a bottom six Ryan Hartman no matter how good he was to start the year there's someone who seems like more interesting in Minnesota than Ryan Hartman right now is Freddie Gaudreau who's been holding his own he's been centering the Fiala-Boldy line for a long time now and like Fiala and Boldy have been getting all the attention I feel like every week we or Ben and Lewis or someone is talking about how good either Fiala and or Boldy are but Freddie Hockey as Dave from Stream Scheme calls him Freddie Freddie Hockey's goal yesterday brought him to 11 points in his last 13 games. Plus, I took a look on Frozen Tools at the power plays, and it looks like Goudreau bumped Joel Eriksson-Eck from the net front spot on the top power play for at least part of the game. Again, this is a bad loss. Who knows if that's going to last? But imagine if you have Freddie Goudreau centering Boldy and Fiala and on the top power play. Wow. And Minnesota has a four-game week next week. So how can you not be interested in streaming in Freddie Goudreau? Only 3% rostered on Yahoo at the moment. I haven't listened to this week's stream scheme but i'll be very surprised if he's not someone i guess the only reason that dave wouldn't pick him as one of his recommended streams for the week would be because i think he just recommended him really recently and he doesn't like to do doubles but he's someone who's really on my radar right now
1: and on ours too we brought up freddie goudreau what was it two or three weeks ago and i'm not sure if it was on the main show or a patron cast but he is definitely worth having. That Boldy-Fiala line is the same as Kirill Kaprizov's line at this point. Getting the guys playing with any of those guys should be something you try to capitalize on. So uh, if Gaudreau is out there, I don't know what you're waiting for. Minnesota does have a lot of these four-game weeks, which going back to the goalies, you know, a week ago, you might have said, well, you know, I'm at least going to get two starts out of whichever Minnesota goalie I have. And what I was saying in that whole series before is that I just don't even know. That's true. I feel like some weeks you could see one start, some weeks you could see three, and it's not worth holding while within all that uncertainty. But uh, if you're looking for certainty, I think Freddie Gaudreau is a lot better player to roster than any of the Minnesota goalies.
0: Right. I guess depending on your format. But yeah, definitely a great spot right now, especially if he gets that top power, but something definitely to watch. Brian, I've got some more interesting line combination changes I want to throw at you and get your take on. We're going to get to those in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back, Brian. And like I said, we were just talking about Minnesota shaking up their top line. Let's talk about another team who's shaken up their top line recently. In Boston, Jake DeBrusque seems to have taken over for Craig Smith on that top line with Bergeron and Marchand. And DeBrusque has been capitalizing. He's on a nice run at the moment. He scored in three straight games versus Ottawa, Colorado, and Seattle. It was two goals, actually, versus Seattle. And then, in his most recent game, he picked up an assist on Saturday versus Reimer and the Sharks. Uh, Brian, I know that DeBrusk has gotten some decent defense like in the past we've talked about him like feels like for years like he was on the top power play in boston seemed like someone worth streaming in every once in a while uh and he never really did anything and i feel like at some point we just decided that we're over him no matter where he plays but right now he's you know producing he's on the top line apparently the word is that he's asked to be traded so maybe this is some sort of like situation where boston's just trying to give him a good you know spot so that they get a good offer i don't know whatever it is boston's got a very nice schedule next week they play monday tuesday thursday saturday so kind of like goudreau it's like why not if you have room like stream in debrusque at least for monday tuesday see if you can keep this up you could always drop him after that what do you think
1: Think the uh, the important thing to uh, consider here I uh, this this seems to me Jake Debresque on the top line I know there's an opportunity here but I I think this is a classic showcase situation for Jake Debresque. he's asked for a trade we know Boston has wanted to move on at times too uh Seems like a good time to start tangling him towards the deadline. And DeBrusque just came off playing a season-high 18 minutes and 46 seconds in the Boston game against Seattle. And to his credit, Debresque is doing his part to impress other teams. Four goals on 11 shots in three games before having his goal-scoring streak snapped on Saturday in San Jose. Of course, four goals and 11 shots is not sustainable, but for Monday, Tuesday, Jake DeBrusque is definitely uh, interesting to some extent, really to the same extent that Craig Smith and Eric Holla were uh, when Boston first moved David Pasternak to the second line. But remember that Smith and Holla have since fizzled, and DeBrusque has also never consistently made use of deployment in past opportunities. So I'd be careful about the acquisition cost here. Like, I wouldn't drop someone who's good, to get an extra game out of Jake DeBrusque just because he's playing on the first line. But if you can get him at little or no cost to you, you can grab DeBrusque for the short term. But keep in mind, it's pretty safe to assume, or at least there's a a pretty good chance that Jake DeBrusque is going to potentially be worthless to you by the time this week is over and possibly sooner. So just don't get too hyped about DeBrusque. Give him a couple games and see what he does. And hey, he might reward you. But his production so far hasn't been sustainable. And I think this is just a chance to really show him doing stuff so Boston can try and maximize their return in an eventual trade.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So, any game now, we can see the lines changing and his value goes from high to absolutely nothing. Uh, so, I like there's one other team I see that plays Monday, Tuesday next week, and that's New Jersey. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about the Devils recently with all of their outgeries. I see that in some leagues that I'm in, like a Mercer or a Zaka is available. I think a Sharon Govic is available. Still to some people, which surprises me. Uh, would you take all those devils over Debrusque for a Monday, Tuesday stream if you're looking for some short term help?
1: I would definitely take Sharangovich Schering- over him. Then I might put Debrusque in the same sort of category as Mercer and Zaka. I might even lean Debrusque just a little bit. I think he is motivated too, to play his way out of Boston and <laughs> to get other teams interested. Uh, so, I, I think that's a, a good category of players to put him into, uh, just decidedly below Sharon
0: Govich. Okay, I've got a hunch. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think Mercer is going to give you a big week next week. He's been playing with Jack Hughes now uh, and Sharon Govich, by the way. I don't know. Just a hunch, okay? So we'll see what happens. Uh, but these are things that are obvi- obviously just sometimes you just have to go with your gut a little bit for these lower-level players. And by the way, when I call Mercer a lower-level player, I mean for this year, not for the future. He's going to be a really big player in the league, I think. Okay, over on Florida, they've been shifting up the lines a little bit. Uh, Frank Vetrano got a shot with Barkov and Verhagi in one game, but the, in their most recent game on Saturday it was Mason Marchment playing on the top line with Barkov and Verhagi, and that loss to Edmonton didn't go so well. The line didn't score, so I don't know. Maybe that's not... Good going to last. Obviously an interesting name already that's even more interesting if he sticks on the top line, Uh, but also, I I just don't want to encourage people to actually think this means anything. I think that Florida is playing around with things and I could imagine a lot of different uh combinations that they might go with in their two games next week. Uh so I don't know. I won't even ask you about Marchman. We know that he's had some amazing games and also some quiet games. Uh have we mentioned on the podcast that Anthony Duclair has been playing on the top power play for the last few weeks? I'm not sure if we did. I know we talked about Sam Bennett, you know, going on a bit of a cold streak and he was off the top power play, but yeah, it's Duclair there, and he had two power places yesterday, bringing him to five points in his last five games, What a season Anthony Duclair is having. He's on a 73-point pace. He's playing with Huberdo and Bennett on, I guess, the second line or in the top six. It's almost like at this point you can't really call a line that has Huberdo the second line. Uh, but also, yeah, top power play. What a spot for Duclair, and he's really producing. Unfortunately, someone that's also in a good spot on Florida, and he's been there for a while, but seems to be taking a step back is Carter Verhage. He hasn't been seeing time on either power play unit recently, not on the first or second power play. He still plays with Barkov and even strength, but that's only been good for three points in Verhage's last seven games. Brian, should we be concerned that Verhage won't be able to keep up the near 70-point pace he was on for like all of last year and most of this season before this recent stretch? Because Florida plays only Thursday, Saturday this week a lot of people, I'm sure, need to clear up roster space and are wondering if now's the time to cut bait on Verhage. I'm curious to hear what you think about that.
1: He's definitely been a very tough guy to roster. Carter Verhage, when he's good, he's good. And he's been good a lot over the last year and a half. But going cold lately, you look at this guy on your roster, you're like, why am I so attached to Carter Verhage? Is it time to drop him? And I'm in the same place as you, Elon, where I'm considering it. I've twice played him this past week ahead of Mikael grandland, who uh, who decided to start putting up points again himself. So I'm at this crossroads where I'm like, okay, for Higgy lost me, might have lost me the week, actually, for the my my trust in him to outpoint uh, Mikael Grandland for my cup full team. So yeah, let's dig in and see why. Uh, the first thing I'm seeing is that Verhege was on the ice or has been on the ice for just eight goals in his last 13 games, which is a lot less than he's been used. Like he's generally been on the ice at five on five for a goal a game for most of the season. So eight goals in 13 games, that's low. And then I'm trying to figure out why. And I'm looking at those 13 games. Florida is shooting less than 4% with Verhage on the ice and you compare that with the nine percent that we expect Florida to shoot with Verhage on the ice based on his numbers last year and this year and I think that's it I think there's just some bad shooting luck happening because Verhage's on ice expected goals rates are as high as ever so I think he's just getting the raw deal here and it's uh it's hard to hold on to Verhage while this happens But I think that's what you need to do. And I'm glad you asked, Elon, because I I needed to do this research for my own purposes as I figure out my next moves. And after doing it, I might even suggest that now is a good time to buy him. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some impatient for managers letting go. It would be a mistake to let go of Carter Verhege right now. I think he's probably going to continue being as good the rest of the way as he has been for most of the last year and a half while playing with Alex Barkov. So that would be a reason to look in to see whether Carter Verhege is available in your league if you don't have him. And if you do, hold strong, even though he only plays twice this week. I know it's going to be hard, but I think he's going to make it worth your while.
0: Okay, here's the move. If you don't have him, add Jake DeBrusque, okay? Then right away... Trade, send an offer for Carter or Haggy, be like he's playing on the top line, look at all these goals he's scoring. Then most leagues, it takes like a couple days, you know, for the trade to process. So you still get the Monday, Tuesday games from Debrusque, and then it swaps over to get it for Haggy for Thursday, Saturday. You still get four games on the week. So I don't know if you could actually pull that off. That's a thought I had. Now's a good time to trade for him because then you could still get the games out of the player that you trade while you wait for the trade to process. Okay, so Brian, speaking of the unfortunate drops I made, I told you earlier on about some of them, and I have already kind of hinted at how I I dropped Cam Atkinson in the cup full, which is I know some listeners listening to this might be like what you loved Cam Atkinson you were bugging Brian every week But well, Cam Atkinson look how good he's still doing why don't you believe in him as much as I do but you know me Brian my Achilles heel when I see just like one and two shot games, game after game. I'm like, well, why do I have this guy then? And so and like Philly wasn't scoring many goals, so I finally decided I had to cut bait on someone. I held Verhaggy just like you. And I dropped Cam Atkinson. So of course he had a one goal and one assist game uh on Saturday. Uh so that was a bummer. But he only still had two shots on goal. So he was kinda still doing the same thing. He just got lucky well, I don't want to say he got lucky, right? But, like you know, obviously something's going to go in for a player every once in a while. Uh, but he is on the top line, and he is on the top power play. So maybe it was a bit rash. Uh, ben picked him up. So I wish I wish him all the best, of course. I love Ben. Uh, but anyways, this is still something to talk about in this line combo section because uh, there is a new player on this top line in Philly, and that's Joel Farabee, who returned from his upper body injury on Saturday and jumped right to that line with Giroux and Atkinson and also to the top power play. Uh, Farabee assisted on Atkinson, atkinson's goal on saturday so i guess i've got a two-part question for you going into a four game week for philly number one did i blow it dropping cam atkinson or is this just a typical post drop bump and then also for people in leagues where cam atkinson is not available but joel farabee is how appealing is he to you right now if he's sitting in your free agency and he's getting this deployment
1: I don't think you blew it by dropping Cam Atkinson. Though Keep in mind that all of Philly has struggled in the time that Atkinson's shots have gone away, but he was also still putting up shots even when Philly was struggling earlier because the Flyers have really been struggling all season long. Anyway, I think it's fine that you dropped Cam Atkinson and just watch his shots. There's been rumors he's been playing injured, which tracks with him putting up fewer shots on goal. And if those don't return, then I don't expect the points to have t- to keep coming the way they were. I-, I was impressed, though. Atkinson was keeping up high shot counts longer for a longer stretch than he has in a long time. So way to go, Kim Atkinson. It was a good run. If you're injured, why don't you take some time off? Get fully healthy so you can come back and start shooting and putting up points again the way you were before. Because I'm open to the idea, but it doesn't look like that's what's about to happen now until we see those shot rates reverse. As for Joel Faraby, he's definitely appealing as a free agent option if he's out there. He's 22 years old, he's a developing player, he's shown some flash, some promise already. I wouldn't say Farby is much more beyond a speculative stream for now, but if you've got room on your roster or need to try and find a gem, in a free agent pool that's grown stagnant, which often happens at this point of the season, then Faraby coming off IR and suddenly being in that player pool is a pretty decent choice. And it's nice to see that he played 21 minutes in his return to the lineup too, which suggests to me that he is ready to go. And I think Philadelphia is going to want to give Faraby opportunities the rest of the year to see whether he's a top six guy or a mid six guy for them next year. But same caveat is what I sort of mentioned about Cam Atkinson, which is that Philly is also really, really struggling. They have just not been that good this year, which makes it harder for their plays to produce, especially if, say, Claude Giroux is on his way out the door. So, um, which could open up a a different kind of opportunity for Farabee, actually. In the meantime, keep an eye on him at the very least. He should be on your watch list. And like I said, if you're looking for a fresh injection to your lineup and the usual waiver wire guys are boring to you and have low upside, then Joel Faraby is a pretty nice option to have as he comes off the injured reserve.
0: All right, yeah. Farabee, definitely someone to have at the top of your watch list if you don't want to, you know, take the plunge right away. But he's definitely someone I'm interested in as well. Uh, I don't know why I thought, by the way, that Philly has a four-game week next week. They don't. They only play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So a little less appealing compared to Uh, Freddie Gaudreau, who I I have confirmed Minnesota I was correct does play four times next week on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday and Sunday so that's a nice schedule including a couple off day games. Uh, Let's go to Winnipeg now for another interesting line combination let's talk about the other Svechnikov Evgeny Svechnikov no one ever talks about this guy but he's recently found himself in a really sweet spot on line one or line two I don't know what you'll call it but like the line with Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois which is a pretty sweet place to be. Uh, E. Svechnikov is taking advantage recently he's scored a goal versus Colorado on Friday had another goal and an assist versus Arizona today uh, people may not remember this but Sveshnikov was once a decently high-end-ish prospect like he was taken 19th overall in 2015 by the wings never panned out to be anything more than a bottom sixer until now where he's getting a shot in the top six and you know so far so good and like I don't even really know what to say. Like, I don't think you're gonna like tell me like no. Actually, Evgeny Sveshnikov is like amazing, and I'm not surprised about this at all. I think it's just that Kyle Connor is so 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 good. He, another couple goals today, and pierre Le Dubois is is really good in his own right. Uh, the Jets won five three today on the back of a couple Connor goals in the third, and so yeah, Sveshnikov got in on one of those. He also scored one himself. So if you're in a deep league. I think you want the third wheel on that line, right? Kind of like a similar to a Freddie Gaudreau situation. Of course, Gaudreau, I mentioned, is getting potentially power play opportunities. So Sveshnikov's not getting that. And also, Gaudreau, we've seen produced for a while now. So obviously, I'm not saying that Svechnikov is at that level yet. But depending how deep your league is, I think you got to at least start watchlisting of Getty Svechnikov for as long as he's going to be playing with Connor and Dubois. I
1: think so, too. Uh, Dubois and Kyle Connor seem to be connected. They've been together most of the season. The third piece on that line with them earlier in the year was Wheeler before he got hurt. And then Evgeny Svechnikov for a little bit. Then Cole Perfetti, who's now injured and doesn't seem to have a timeline to return. So, yeah, with Wheeler rolling on Scheifele's line, Svechnikov is a pretty good shot to take here. Someone who's going to stick on a line that is uh, pretty productive and has one of the best goal scorers in the league, Kyle Connor, on it. And Evgeny Svechnikov, it wouldn't be the first time he saw some success there. He saw earlier in the season when he had some turns with Dubois and Connor. He had a few points in that little run, too. Uh, Former Detroit Red Wing prospect, Svechnikov's now 25 years old and I think has loads of skill. He's just not always able to earn or hold or get opportunities to show it. And I think that makes him not at all a bad third wheel to have up in that top six in Winnipeg now, especially when the Jets have good playoff schedules and lots of formats. So if it's time for you to start thinking about your playoff schedules, take a look at the Jets. Uh, They have a lot of off night games in playoff weeks and Svechnikov if he's still up in that spot at that time could be a, a pretty useful depth scoring piece for you so I really like you bringing him up Elon and I think everyone should go at least take a look at Evgeny Svechnikov
0: yeah of course keep in mind, like to like the lines could change and then he'll be useless right so he's not someone to like give up anything huge for but it's a good spot right now for however long he holds and like you said Brian it's like he's had it for a little while and all the people who potentially could have stolen yeah. it from him are either injured or rolling on another line
1: Exactly, and I look at and I look up and down the lineup, and I don't see too many candidates to take the spot from him. With Wheeler entrenched on another line and Perfetti out of the lineup, so I feel like when Perfetti's healthy again, then maybe you you look again. But in the meantime, with the way Satschnikov is rolling, you add him now if you've got space, and then see how long he lasts up there. The downside is he still even on that line is playing like third to fourth line minutes like he's barely playing uh but it's still a good guy to have if you're in a deep league and looking for some help
0: yeah by the way brian i gotta mention since we're on winnipeg uh, neil pionk who i've brought up like every week you you've held on this whole time and he's uh, starting to reward you he had an assist today that's his fourth assist in four games this week not a bad week at all just wanted to bring him up and say uh congratulate you on getting some points out of neil pionk finally
1: Thanks. It's been nice. It would have been even nicer if Pionk hadn't disappeared completely in the first place. But it is nice to see Neil Pionk hitting the score sheet again and rewarding our very, very immense
0: patience with him. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to keep putting up points, Like, but uh, nice to see. Okay, so let's go to some injuries now, uh, and then we'll end the show with some hot and cold I have a lot of players I want to ask you about, Brian, so let's get into it. Uh, over in Vegas, Max Pacioretty, injured again in Friday's game versus Arizona. Didn't play on Saturday. Just a rough year health-wise for Like When he plays, well, he started the year so well, then he got hurt. When he came back, he wasn't even looking that good. Then things were finally looking up with him playing with Eichel. So hopefully this isn't a long-term thing. I don't think we've heard anything yet. Uh, So in this game on Saturday, Eichel played with Dadanov and Stevenson versus the Avs. And Stevenson actually opened the scoring in the first. So And by the way, Stevenson and Dadanov also joined Eichel on the top power play along with Keegan Kolasar as the other forward on that unit, which is not something I expected to see. So I don't really know what to make of any of this, and maybe the lines will get shuffled around since they did lose that game. That was against Colorado, so they put up a good fight. I personally, I'm like over to Like I don't care. You could tell me to playing with Eichel and like Pacharetti or whoever, and on the top power play. I feel like I still wouldn't recommend him. I am into Stevenson though. Like that's a really good spot for him, and he's someone who we haven't seen totally disappear all season. I don't think I'm going to recommend Keegan Kolasar to anyone. But yeah, just wanted to give this update. Really though, I just hope that Pat. Paci- Pacioretty's okay.
1: That's the bottom line, because I don't think anyone is going to get Pacioretty-like production who's not Max Pacioretty. Colasar, if he's not scoring for you, then he does average a few hits per game, although those have dipped over the last couple outings. And I'm not sure if that has to do with any kind of role change or things being asked of him. So something to watch, but aside from hitting, there's not much else you can depend on Keegan coldstar to do. I think he's probably just getting a look on the top unit and could see him off it again at any point. So don't, don't get too heavily invested in the guy, but if your league of rewards hits and you want to take a shot and you know he's going to be on the top power play, then you could try him, but that top power play looks uh, not too impressive right now. Sadly.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's almost like maybe in that one game, maybe just that power play got more ice time for whatever reason, but really the one with Marsh or so, Riley Smith and Carlson is like, well, you know, we'll have to get more data and see like what lines they roll there. But like, I know Eichel's there, which makes it seem like a top power play, but Stevenson, Dodonov and Kolasar don't make it look like a top power play, of course. Uh, okay, so the next injury I wanted to bring up is Matt Barzal, who's day to day with a lower body injury. Uh, he got injured in Saturday's game against LA. Uh, the Islanders are playing again tonight as we speak and uh, so far, yeah, and Barzal in play today. I could bring up the lines here. It looks like Anders Lee is playing with Brock Nelson and Beauvillier. And then Kyle Palmieri is playing with Zach Perize and JG Pajot. And, and then like we have the bottom six there. a Top power play Pajot, Lee, Nelson, Beauvillier and Noah Dobson. I don't know. Islanders are always just so tough to talk about. Like, I don't know who to recommend or what, or what to say here. Barzal's injured. That can't really be good for anyone. I guess Peugeot getting on the top power play is good. And maybe now he's instead of a, you know, third line center, he's a second line center. Maybe he'll see, see some more ice time. But he's not someone that. Uh... Anyways, yeah. I don't know. Islanders. There you go. Barzal's injured. That stinks. Uh, I. By the way, Brian, I do... The one guy on this team that doesn't stink and is definitely always worth discussing lately is Noah Dobson. Like I recall we brought him up when he had this hot run right before the Islanders like stopped playing for a couple of weeks and we were sort of discussing whether or not he's worth holding even with a bad schedule. If I recall, you were like not fully sold on the guy. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are now on Noah Dobson. He's been so amazing recently. Seven points in his last seven games going into today and I see he has scored a goal today against uh, Anthony Stolarz of the Ducks. So that's now like eight points in eight games. He's taking a lot of shots. He had four and five shots in each of his last couple of games versus LA and San Jose. He's the clear top power play guy with no competition. You know, maybe we thought that when Ryan Pulak came back, he might, you know, uh, challenge for power play time. It seems like Dobson is the guy. He's the guy they drafted and hoped he would be. And at least from the, you know, the score sheet, it's looking like Dobson is for real and he's still only 46% rostered, which is kind of crazy to me Uh, so I'm curious to know if you agree with me that it's crazy that he's only 46% rostered and he's for real and worth holding and being excited about for the rest of the season
1: I think it's reasonable that he's only 46% rostered he's not that valuable in a lot of leagues because he doesn't do a whole lot like a 45 point pace is like yeah that's good but you'd like that to be accompanied by more hits shots or blocks than he puts up on a regular basis and on the power plays had that role all season long eight power play points in 47 games is not that exciting and that's why i've been down on dobson uh like the last time he had a hot run you were like how could you not be into him and i was like i'm just not into him as someone i can reliably count on and sure enough, he did fall off. And if I recall correctly, Elon, you were like, yeah, I guess you were right to not want to. I think we were talking about when the Isles like had bad schedules, whether you wanted to hold on to Dobson. I said he was not a must hold. Um It's great that over this run where Dobson now has 12 points in parts of 15 games, he has nearly three shots per game. Uh, that's really impressive. And that's the reason to want him. I'd want him above Ronick, but not... Um, not above like Severson or Circachev, who I'd rather have. What? I yeah.
0: disagree. I would take Dobson over Severson or Circachev for sure.
1: I feel like you've had your like ups and downs about Dobson over the year, and mm-hmm. I feel like in the downs you would definitely agree with me, and in the <laughs> ups you wouldn't. Like I, I feel like there's a, there's like a heavy recency bias coming into play. His shots have been fantastic lately, though, um, which I like. I want to give him full credit for. He's just not someone who seems to have a whole lot of upside.
0: I guess, like, for me, it's, like, a top power play guy who's shooting a lot. Like, I'll just take it. And, like, if Barzal's injured for a long time, maybe that's going to hurt. But it didn't hurt today when he scored a goal. So, I don't know. I would, like, it, I don't think you set the bar too high with Severson and Sergachev. So, I'm going to take Dobson over those, like, lower upside guys, in in my sure. opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, he also has he has nine goals on uh, on 120 shots. So, that's us uh, he's probably shooting... Like he probably has three or four more goals than he should based on his <laughs> career numbers too. So look, I, I'm I'm happy he's doing well, but I'm still not convinced that the Isles power play one quarterback is worth rostering.
0: All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, uh, but I know you must be excited to see your bae, Zach Parise, who you've loved forever. He's on a hot streak right now. I didn't think I'd see it any ever again in my life. But he had six points in his previous four games going into today. He did not assist on Dobson's goal, but we're only uh, through one period so far. Uh, is there any chance that this is somewhat for real and Zach Parise is actually someone we're going to say on a 2022 episode of Keeping Carlson that people should consider adding to their fantasy teams?
1: No, I mean, you said it went going into this Isles talk, it's like, oh, the Islanders, like there's only so much you can really say. No one's really exciting. And by the way, I said like Dobson is is not rosterable. I, I, I'm i going to walk that back a bit. He is rosterable. He's withholding, especially while he's doing well. But he's like, uh, you know, similar to Hronik. He's not somebody I'd want to hold at all costs, but I'd want to hold him longer than I'd hold so j just, just to make that clear, Dobson is a nice option, but the upside and ceiling is, is pretty low to me. Parisi... Uh yeah <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from the islanders are partying like it's 2019 getting contributions from a 37-year-old Zach Parisi. Also, Kyle Palmieri, we featured last week, is going on a little run with the Isles. Uh, Parisi scored three goals on seven shots, still limited time on ice. So I, I'm not going to get too attached to what Parisi's doing, but thank you for at least mentioning that he's seeing some success.
0: <laughs> okay, who has a better chance of keeping their streak up? Zach Parisi or the fake Sebastian Ajo, who has five assists in his last six games going into today? Can't believe it. I
1: can't believe that either. S three B Aho, as he's known on uh, on some stat sites that have to differentiate Sebastian Aho, Carolina from Sebastian Aho uh, on Long Island. Uh, like this is the reason, honestly, that I'm not into Noah Dobson. Like this can happen, right? This is a good illustration. Uh, Aho has five assists in his last six games, but. Where is this coming from? I, I don't think there's any sign it's going to last. It's nice that he's done something, but just four shots over that stretch, no periths to speak of, still playing middling minutes for the most part. You know, you just, uh, you don't see guys lucking into points too often in Long Island. Usually they're lucking out of them. Uh, now we have Palmieri, Parisi, Aho. Neither run inspires confidence, uh, but Dobson, yeah, he's rosterable again, but as before, he's not a slam dunk to be relevant all season long. Can we move on from the Islanders now? There's such a... And I, I'm, I, I'm personally frustrated with them because I, acqui- I have their tandem. I had their tandem in two leagues this year for the first time that it hasn't been worth having their tandem in the last several years.
0: How do you still have Varlamov? Hasn't I mean, he only Varlamov's played like one time in the last yeah, like no. six games? Varlamov's got to go. Okay let him let him go Sorokin uh doing good so far today through one period like I've said (laughs) uh okay uh speaking of D available everywhere so I brought up the fake Sebastian Ajo so I might as well just mention this uh and this is I'm telling you right now this isn't relevant so you can skip ahead two minutes if you're like in a rush but uh the Sharks uh Mario Ferraro is injured and he just had surgery so he's gonna be out for a while and Eric Carlson apparently won't be back might be back next weekend which is good but it's still maybe you have a game or two where you might be able to get in on Ryan Merkley, who's been getting some second power play deployment, or at least he did in that game on Saturday in Ferraro's stead. I just want to bring up Ryan Merkley, because I know that our friend Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast like loves Ryan Merkley. And at one point, I like reached out to him for a trade in our Dynasty League, and he was like, there's no way I'm giving you Merkley. So I just wanted to like bring him up. He got an assist a couple games ago. He had three shots in the 3-1 loss uh, yesterday, where he got that increased role. So just want to throw his name out, but I can't imagine, Brian, you're going to be uh, telling people to rush to grab Ryan Merkley this year, maybe in the future one day.
1: I did do my homework to just make sure that your guess on my take was correct, and it is correct. By the way, Ryan Merkley, not to be confused with another Sharks prospect, Nick Merkley, with whom there's no apparent relation. If you want to know more about Ryan, 21 years old, 21st overall pick in 2018 of the San Jose Sharks. In 56 AHL games over the last couple seasons, Ryan Merkley has 28 points in 56 games, which isn't bad, uh, including... 17 points in his last 25 AHL games this year so way to go Ryan Merkley for some AHL success also had success in the Ontario Hockey League in junior he's a point per game defenseman so he does have a bit of an offensive pedigree coming with him but I'm not sure he's ready for the heavy minutes that Ferraro plays or that he'd be able to do much with them. Ryan Merkley seems to me like the kind of guy that will get maybe brought along and see more of a role. Once Brent Burns is ready to relinquish what he does offensively. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, I'm not recommending you rush out and go get Ryan Merkley.
0: All right, so let's end the show here with some streaky players and teams, hot and cold. And I want to start with a hot team in the Montreal Canadiens. I just, I can't believe this is happening. They've won five in a row now after the 2-1 win over the Sens on Saturday. Here's my question. Number one is this team actually like really good now are we like looking at a good team and number two like if that is the case then do we need to start buying in on one of their goalies like last week we talked about Andrew Hammond's big win over the Isles and I predicted and I was incorrect I thought he'd be the starter moving forward because I was like well obviously Sam Montembeau is not going to be the starter so if Hammond had a good game then yeah maybe he can like run with this and be like a starter on a team that's doing well then all of a sudden Montembeau uh he had a big start against the Leafs to start last week uh five To win and then he shut out the Sabres so he got two starts in a row then Hammond played the Sens on Saturday he had a good game himself letting in only a single goal in that win over the Sens so I don't know just from looking at the fact that Monteville got two of the three games last week kind of makes it look like he's the starter or maybe they're just going to go back and forth I don't know what the plan is Montreal plays Tuesday Thursday Saturday next week it's a Western Canada road trip right any prediction on who gets those games But I guess it only matters if you tell me that it's actually worth having a Montreal Canadiens goalie. They've both been doing really well lately, and by lately I mean the last five games.
1: And that's about as long as we've seen any Habs goalie maintain fantasy relevance, too, so I wouldn't get too excited. But uh, I don't know. Hammond's the one who hasn't let anyone down yet. Maybe that's just because he hasn't played enough games to do it. But Montembeau, he's played
0: only twice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's it. Like Montembeau, we know it's like, yeah, he might have one or two strong games and then he'll collapse and you just have to wait for him to get back up. Hammond uh, we haven't seen enough from yet so I don't know how they're going to split games going forward but I do know that if uh, there is a Montreal starter I'm a little more interested in Hammond than Montembeau but again that might only be because Hammond has not had the chance to blow it the same way Montembeau has you also know I'm a big Andrew Hammond fan
0: sure oh yeah Zach Parise Andrew Hammond alish hemsky are like your big three right <laughs> this is this is maybe this is why i'm struggling to qualify for the tier two cupful playoffs <laughs> okay so let's move on now to a former hab in phil Deneau on la just keeps on producing he has seven points in his last seven games after his goal versus the islanders on saturday he's still only 21 percent rostered on yahoo but this line with deno Arvidsson, and trevor moore is is just really cooking and you know we've talked about moore a lot and i feel like phil deno is someone who we've brought up and like, i've seen him in free agency in a bunch of my leagues as early as like this past week like i could have added him before a pretty decent schedule to end of the week i passed and he was great i should have added him for sure i added like a uh, phil kessel in one of my in the cupful, and he did not he did nothing he stunk i should have added phil to for sure but i blew it and like is this for real though is like phil to really like this guy who's gonna be scoring all these goals like he's all of a sudden a goals he was never like this in montreal no he was just like a kind of a solid guy that got some points but was never on a run like this from what i recall
1: yeah, it was like a Mikhail Backland who would sometimes produce for you and sometimes wouldn't do anything. And like, just like a, a decent 50 point option to stream in. And then he fell off from even being that. But in LA, Dino's line keeps rolling. And as much as I expect Phil Dino's production to slow down. He's now pointed in six of his last seven with five goals and two assists in that stretch. Now, five goals have been scored on 19 shots. That won't sustain. But, you know, I like me some Trevor Moore, who himself has five points in his last four games. So how could I also not endorse Deneau? I think his his upside and ceiling is still very limited. But he's on a roll. LA had a good schedule this week. If this schedule works for you in the future and you're looking to stream... I would take a look at to know. There seems to be a little more, I don't know. You know, we had to talk on our Discord server not long ago. I think uh, our patron who goes by the name on Discord, I'm sorry, I don't have his real name in front of me, but Breeze, um, you know, was asking, is there any research that shows that a hot hand is actually a thing? Like if you score a goal one game, does it make you any more likely to produce a goal the next game? Like is being hot a real thing? And after a bit of research, uh, from that they shared and that I did too, and I think someone else also jumped in, uh the answer was no. <laughs> like, there is no predictive, like scoring a goal in an NHL game is not predictive of whether you'll score a goal in the next NHL game, but it is hard to look away from Phil Deneau, who is uh continuing to produce on the second line in LA with like one of the reasons I like him is he's playing with some decent guys. Trevor Moore, you I expressed my like for a couple weeks ago and victor arvidsson is just shooting all the time so um i think Dino is not somebody who's a mainstay on your roster but i think he's a solid stream on nights when you can fit him into your lineup
0: yeah, and I think there are some, like, caveats with research like this, right? Because a goal by one player is not the same as a goal by... You know, like, the fact, the fact that Sebastian Ajo, the defenseman on the Islanders, had, like, four games in a row with an assist, I don't think that that meant that he was more likely to get an assist in his next game. But, like, Phil Deneau is on the second line. He's getting good deployment on a line that's being expected to score goals. The fact that he's, like, doing well is, like... Uh, I think a lot of it, like for sure, maybe there's some like luck or whatever. Like he just happened to like have more shots go in than you'd expect normally to go in. But it's also that he's on a scoring line, that their job is to score goals. And so you'd expect uh, uh, some more goals to go in. So, yeah, there's a lot to research like that. I think that research. Uh, if I recall, like, you know, sometimes it's talking about, like, basketball players where, like, you know, you've you've hit, like, a certain number of jump shots in a row, and are you more likely to hit the next one? And, you know, something like that, it's like the same player taking the same shot, so it's harder when it's like, you know, with the hockey players having a good game, there's so much that goes into the reasons why. And that's, a I guess, a big reason for the podcast, right? We talk about these players on hot streaks and cold streaks, and we try to break down if it's sustainable or fleeting, and... uh We try our best, I don't know, to figure it out. But uh, a very interesting discussion topic. We could probably do a whole podcast about uh, what it means for a player to be hot. Uh, But uh, let's keep it going anyway with some hot players in St. Louis. Well, Jordan Binnington just shut out Chicago today. He stopped 30, so that's two big starts in a row for Jordan Binnington. I uh, had him in both of my series one-year leagues this year. Uh, One of them I drafted him in. Uh, The other one, the couple, I added him for a game against New Jersey where he stunk and I quickly dropped him and... That turned out to be his last bad game because Ben um, Ben's getting a lot of call-outs here about uh, good free agent pickups. But yeah, Ben grabbed Binnington and he's just gotten two amazing starts. Uh, Vili Huso, by the way, he had a good game versus Buffalo on Friday, so seems like it's starting to look like maybe a timeshare, but my guess would be, like I said with Lewis on Thursday, I think that Coach Berube likes Binnington better, and I think that the plan maybe will be to give Huso a decent number of games, but still for Binnington to be the starter come playoff time. So, Brian, is it like too early at this point to drop Huso in a league? Like, obviously in some leagues, Huso's still valuable because he's been playing so well. Whenever he plays, he's going to give you a good start. But let's say you're in a league where someone like Pavel François is available, like another goalie who's like good uh you know when he plays you know it's going to be a quality start but you can't expect him to get more than 50 percent of the games if you're in a league where francos is available and he's not generally added unless it's like for a stream and then he gets dropped afterwards can you drop huso or do you have to hold on because it's only two good games from binnington and he had so many bad games before that
1: I think it's the second one. It's only a couple good games from Bennington and you like since February what twelfth, I'm looking at the game logs here, who so started four in a row uh, actually did pretty well in those starts. Then Bennington had a great start. Then Huso came in, had a great start and a win. Then Bennington took the net again, had a great start and a win against Chicago, for what it's worth. So I, I don't think Bennington is ripping this job out of Huso's hands because Huso has to concede something, although we have definitely heard Craig Berube through the season seem to express a preference that Jordan Bennington is his guy. Uh, but i don't th- i think it would be premature to just unceremoniously dump huso because binnington has had a good couple games
0: so you'd you'd keep huso like above like a pavel franco's at this point if you were ranking goalies
1: yeah i would okay. because I, I think huso has a better chance of starting more games the rest of the season than franco's does in colorado
0: Yeah, I mean it's tricky. Like next week, St. Louis goes Wednesday and then Saturday, Sunday. So it's definitely possible that Huso doesn't play for you again until the weekend, and that'll be only one game. So I guess. uh, But again, like Binnington could struggle, and he could end up being a starter on a great team. So another tricky goalie situation, like all the ones we talked about earlier on. I just feel like Berube loves Binnington so much. So now that Binnington's actually showing that he still has it in him to have good games, I'd worry that Huso, like no matter how well he plays, it's just like it's not it's not your job, Huso. Like we don't we don't care how well you play. We want Binnington to be our goalie that's what it seems like to me uh But also, I agree with you that maybe it would be a little bit too premature. Hopefully this next week isn't going to kill you to just have one game out of Husso. Uh, By the way, it also seems like David Perron has bounced back from whatever was wrong with him in January. His two goals today against Chicago were his fourth and fifth points over his last four games. He also took eight shots today, which is amazing. Kind of seems like this whole Blues top nine will just run hot and cold throughout the season. Like, you know, we talked about Perron on a cold streak. I believe you said you expected he still probably got it in him to go hot again at some point. Now he has. Maybe he'll go cold again. Like, on the flip side, Ryan O'Reilly can Continues to be super meh he went pointless with only one shot today he only has four points in his last 12 games now so is Ryan O'Reilly now in a David Perron-esque situation from before where since he's so cold that just means he's likely going to have some big games soon or maybe I should have dropped like Ryan O'Reilly instead of Cam Atkinson and Kakaful like where are we right now with Ryan O'Reilly
1: we're in the same place we've been for a lot of the season which is this sort of acknowledgement that Uh, there's no go-to line in st louis anymore they stretch their offense across a pretty nice and round well-rounded top nine and o'reilly is just not being asked to do the same kind of heavy lifting before as before and so he isn't i mean look at the last game that st louis played shen Barbashev, Cairo had a goal peran o'reilly sad had a goal tarasenko butchenevich thomas had a goal. And you try and order those lines from one, two, and three. I mean, I would probably say, I don't know. I would, I would normally say Peran O'Reilly Saad is your line one. By the way, Peran and O'Reilly have been playing. I wouldn't say that. I'd say Tarasenko Bucenevich Thomas is your line one. Uh, Shen Barbagev kairou is the one that's definitely not your top line, but they all did well. And so I think that's all that's happening in St. Louis. And we've had this discussion again. this is, Sorry, I can't remember if this was on a show or on a patron cast or in our patrons only discord server, which, by the way, if you want to join a lot of great conversation through the week uh, and analysis and questions asked and advice, keeping Carlson dot com slash patron for more info on that. But uh, I think that's pretty much it there's not a line like you look at the ice time they had at five on five this is actually crazy uh, each line had uh, almost exactly 10 minutes and 40 seconds of ice at five on five they couldn't have spread it out better if they tried 10 40 10 40 and 10 37 were the respective line combo uh time on ice totals for the three units that i've been talking about and i think that's it so ryan o'reilly uh unfortunately takes a hit in his value so does david perron uh and anyone else in st louis i think those are the two main guys Braden chen who's already fallen off a little bit on his own but both of those guys needed to be you know 70 80 point players the last few seasons because they were being relied upon in st louis and now st louis is spreading it out
0: yeah, hard to predict what's going to happen in the St. Louis top six. Braden Shen, by the way, definitely not cool. That was like maybe something that was true to say uh, earlier in the year in December when he was dropped in a bunch of leagues. Uh, now he is someone that anyone who dropped him is definitely regretting it because he's scoring goals almost every game. And today he's had to assist. Uh, so yeah, I just wish that uh, Ryan O'Reilly could do what Braden Shen is doing. I'd be very happy.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I wrote Shen off prematurely, but I will still say that Braden Shen, I'm looking at his points participation and his on a shooting percentage and his shooting percentage. It's all too high. So uh, if you if you want Ryan O'Reilly to be doing what Braden Shen is doing, you want Ryan O'Reilly to be producing unsustainably, which is definitely better than what O'Reilly is doing now. But Shen on a 71-point pace or a very, well, there was a big down, and then there's been a huge up since that down. Um, I'm not sure you can, like, I would not be counting on Braden Shen to be definitely outpacing O'Reilly and Perron's, like, 55, 60 point paces the rest of the way. As good as he's been lately, I'm not, uh, I'm not bought in. Great sell high time, IMO.
0: Yeah, I guess it depends how high you can sell. Like, people might remember that he was struggling before. Uh, he could slow down a little bit and still have a lot of value with what he's been doing. But yeah, St. Louis, they're such a good team. I think this win today was their one, two, three, four, five, fifth in a row. They lost to the Habs because the Habs are it's like such a good team now, apparently. Before that, they won a couple in a row. Before that, so St. Louis really coming on strong, and they're going to be an uh, interesting team to watch in the playoffs. Okay, Brad, I got one more player to bring up to you a cold streak, and that's in Dallas, John Klingberg. I like I mentioned at one point I traded for him in a league. I gave a second and a third and I dumped Mike Smith who then had a good start to get John Klingberg who I think maybe I blew it cuz he stinks. He had nothing versus uh. Buffalo today. Uh now he's pointless in 5 <laughs> yeah. and by nothing by the way I mean like it was a cardio workout. Like we coined on the last show like no shots, no like he had a single block in his stat line in this game today. So John Klingberg just doing nothing for me
1: the game before he had a single shot and nothing else like this is this is the story of John Klingberg Elon I think we've been telling the story of John Klingberg all season long which is that if he's not producing points he's not very helpful to you and he does seem to run hot and cold right now he's cold he's fallen back below a 50 point pace uh, but for the rest of the season I still think he'll pace around 50 points but he's not a very exciting player to have in fantasy despite having uh, continued top power play deployment, although I'm just looking at his last couple games. What is, uh, what's Dallas doing the last couple days on the power play? Are they running two equal units? He's right around 50% the last two outings.
0: I don't know. I know SL Lindell had a power play assist today, which annoyed me. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> As I don't it know. should. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: It doesn't look like they're running, I think. Yeah. Klingberg was playing with Haskinen on what seems to be the top unit i i can't uh yeah Th- this is this is life with john klingberg elon i'm sorry it, it's not fun i i've yeah. had him before and i've like he's one of the players that i try to avoid now for this reason uh, but overall if you're just gonna look at his point output the rest of the season i see no reason to expect that he's gonna stray far from a 50 point pace
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I freaked out because Tony D'Angelo got injured and I had this glaring hole and I thought, oh, I could get a different top power play defenseman, but... They're not the same. <laughs> Tony Angelo is better, I think, unfortunately for me. Uh, Brian, that's all I've got. This has been such a blast going through all of these players and teams with you. I hope that the people listening to the show have enjoyed it. Uh, you could always let us know if you enjoyed it or not. Uh, Tweeted us, at Keeping Carlson. we love to hear your feedback. You could also ask us any advice questions on Twitter, and we try to help you out within around, like, 24 hours. If you really want to get faster responses, uh, come hang out with us on Discord, keepingcarlson.com, slash, patron. That's one of our perks We also have some other perks, including our monthly patron cast, uh, show notes that we share with the patrons. So, you know, we're having fun. And we ask you for your support, five bucks a month. And thanks so much to all the patrons who have been with us all season long. We hope that we've uh, made it worth your while. Uh, Also, thanks to everyone who joined us live here. Uh, But I think with that, I'll just uh, stop rambling. Let you know that we've got a couple more short shift shows coming next week. Uh, Like, we're going to keep churning out this content through to the fantasy playoffs we want to help everyone listening be as successful as they can and hopefully we'll get some championships from our listeners uh but with that brian let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead and read us the credits
1: all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters david Derek, jake tom Rob, Patty, Andrea, Christopher, Flash, and our newest super supporter, Tyler. Thanks for coming on board. We really appreciate that. Thank you to our Kickupful coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our team of co commissioners. More information on the Kakupfel at kkupfl.com. And also, shout out to Shams Benamore for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on at Game Day Lines, at Game Day news, NHL, and at Game Day All essential follows. For your fantasy success, you can also follow Ben and Lewis, whose short shifts episodes are coming at you through the week at short KK. And you can follow Dave Betton at NHL Stream Scheme. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo.
0: Great job, as always, Brian. I really had a nice time this evening. I'm going to go eat some Egyptian food now. So uh, let's just tell everyone what they can do while they wait for our next episodes to drop. Take care of yourselves,
1: and also join us in doing all that you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.